Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hey, Kelly, you know that, you know what some people say? What do some people say? So, some people say that women should be seen and not heard, but you know what we say? We say that women should be seen and whined loudly. Welcome to Whining About Herstory, the rockin' women's history podcast where two besties with breasties whine about women that you definitely should have heard of, mm-hmm. but the system failed you. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And I'm not as drunk as I sound. It's great though. I like I'm a little that. tipsy though. I've already had a glass of wine. Kelly and I had a business meeting and I was like, well... Our business meetings should all have wine, right? Like, I make the best decisions when I'm drinking, so it's totally fine. It's totally fine. Totes my goats. Totes my goats. Yeah, I did. Remember uh, when we lived in the apartment together and we decided that no one could say totes unless they said the full totes my goats? Yep. Otherwise, they had to leave. There's a few other ones that were... Similar, like, I can't remember what else they. Like, oh, my was, God. But it was just like, if you use any of that slang, you are going to be kicked out of your apartment. It's, it's so funny because all of that slang has now been replaced with modern slang that's actually outdated now. <laughs> like, like, it's it's funny because I can kind of tell where I, I started to fossilize as a person where I'm like, that's totally lit. It, no one says lit anymore, See, I'm pretty sure. I, I realized when I, I was old when someone said on fleek for the first time and I was like, the fuck does that mean? On what? Who's fleek or what's fleek? My, How do I get on it? My older half sister knew what it was, but that's because she has she had teenage kids at the time and that's who was saying it was her yeah. teenage daughter. And I was just like, the fuck is on fleek? So I had to like Google it and I'm like, I'm so old. I don't even know the slang anymore. Well, and the thing is, especially with social media, the slang comes and goes so quickly. This is just TikTok. I literally, I, I referenced a meme. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers like, I need my guns to fight off the wild boars going after my kids in the front yard tweet that became like this yeah, viral she meme. literally like, was talking to me about it. And I'm like, I have no idea. And Kelly's idea like, that's a really about. oddly specific thing to say. I'm like, you don't remember when that took over the internet for like five seconds. I was like, nope. <laughs> yeah. And especially like, I still use Facebook, which now dates me. Like, right. younger people don't use Facebook. I used to have a MySpace. I know. Oh my God. Remember when like being in someone's like top 10 friends was like yeah. the biggest fucking shit? Yeah. It's like people would like compete for like the top 10 spots. On bridges people's- were built and burned oh, yeah. in the top friends. Um, But it's like if stuff doesn't make it to Facebook, then I'm like, it's not even worth me learning because it's not that it's going to come and go so quickly. You know, I still like my surprise Pikachu meme. I think that's one of my favorites. Apparently. Facebook still exists. Or MySpace still exists. <laughs> I hope Facebook still exists. We post on it all the time. I part of me would love to dig up my old MySpace profile, like some archaeological expedition, but then part of me it feels like the depth of self-loathing that would wash over me is just too like I'm not mentally stable enough to handle it. It's basically like music now. Like, literally, looking at the MySpace, it's, like, all music. Well, it was really big on music back in the day. Like, a lot of artists used it to post their music and share and network and that kind of thing. So, yeah, like, I wonder if all of, like, the old, like, profiles are just gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because I, searching my name, I don't see Well, anything. okay, let's be honest, nothing on the internet is ever truly gone. 
I remember the profile picture I had when I last used MySpace. It was the most emo shit I ever posted. Like, I ha- it, w- it wasn't even with a cell phone camera. It was like with my little digital camera high up at an angle in the bathroom. And I had like my bangs swept over one eye and I looked really pissed off. And I had like this punk rocker skull t-shirt and I was all like, <laughs> fuck the man. And I think you could have nicknames on MySpace, and mine was Black Stockings. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because I wore, I had this uh, pair of Emily the Strange black stockings I wore all the time, and I loved them. That's kind of fantastic. That is, that's just a little insight into teenage me that no one needed to know. <laughs> anyway, I think it's great. Kelly, I am so excited to be here with you today. I've been listening to a bunch of different podcasts, and particularly on this one. Minnesota case from the 70s and it's uh it's the the Wrecker sisters they were murdered in St. Clown St. Clown St. Clown St. Cloud Minnesota in 1974 and I've I've listened to I think think three or four podcast episodes covering the case and the unfortunate thing is that it's pretty much the same script over and over because there's just not a ton of information available here's the weird thing I heard about the case the first time I I, I was listening to a podcast I was just kind of going through the playlist and they were talking about it and then they mentioned an area the, the area where their bodies were found and I'm going there I had I independently decided before ever hearing about this that I was going to go there. They were found in a quarry that's like filled with water. Kids swim there and that yep. kind of thing in Waite Park, which is in like the St. Cloud area. Like my understanding is St. Cloud like surrounds Waite Park. Well, Jared and I are taking a little trip up there and... You were just I want to go. Well, I want to go hiking. Well, here here's my dumbass that doesn't even know my own state. I thought Waite Park was a literal park. I thought it was like a state park or something. So I just assumed we could go hiking. I realized no, that's a town, honey. And so I start looking for Minnesota. I start looking for places to go hiking, and there's the Quarry Nature Preserve. I'm like, that looks fucking awesome. And then, like, after I talk with Jared about it, I'm like, yeah, we're going to go here. This is our thing. And he's like, that sounds great. And I the, literally the next day I hear it. And their bodies were found in a quarry in Waite Park. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so I've been listening over and over to that case. And it's got me a little freaked out. But also listening to these podcasts of, like, it's, it's what we do. It's two people coming together to talk about a topic they're passionate about. And it was just kind of one of those things where I'm like, I'm so glad I'm doing this with Kelly. Like, I'm so glad that, you know, I get to do a podcast with my best friend. I'm so glad that I get to start a business with my best friend. Yay. I'm so glad other people actually give a shit enough to like, listen. <laughs> Yay. Sorry, that was a long tangent. Yeah, we haven't even introduced our wine yet. I know, but that that thing with the... That's an unsolved case, by the way. So it's extra creepy. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I kind of hate the fact that I was already planning on going here. And then literally the next day I found out that people were murdered there. So... Just, just remember that the attacker has a scar on his left eyebrow. Oh, if it's the, that if guy. If it's you're... the same person that attacked the other person around the same time. Yeah, he's actually in custody for murdering two other sisters, the Lion sisters. Because they think it might be him. Yeah, because uh, the the w- girl that he attacked is like 
Um, I don't know. There's some creepy parallels going on here. And she was a witness in his case. Uh, I think it was in Massachusetts where the Lyons sisters were murdered. And so she went out to be a witness to like show this pattern of violent behavior. And I, um, I read an article and they had quotes from this, this woman who I, I'm, I'm not going to name. You guys can Washington, look it up. DC. Was it DC? Okay. And, uh, she was saying something about how, like, how can she be this big witness for a case that's halfway across the country, but trying to figure out if he has a connection to a case in the state where she's lived and worked her whole life. Makes, like, yeah. people won't really look into it. And it's I'm like, sad. why not? And then, like... I'm going to have to watch this interview with her later. Yeah, no, I, I highly recommend listening to the case. It's really... It's, it's so sad. It's so fascinating. And... In my mind, there are two primary suspects. I kind of hope it's this guy because he's still alive because the other prime suspect is dead, dead and he's an asshole. So thank God he's dead. Fuck him. Anyway. So he, he actually pled guilty to the Lion sister. Murder. Yeah, he did. Okay. But they're trying to connect him to the, right. the Wrecker sister murders. The, guys, this is not a true crime podcast, but here's the thing. We're talking about women's issues. We're talking about women who deserve justice because... No one should have been Everyone able to do this to them justice. and get away with it. So, so on to the wine we're drinking because we we're talking about how all of our business meetings have wine. Yeah, and this is basically a business meeting. We talk about murder and empowered women. So today you're like our oh god, what are they called? Board of directors. Board of directors. <laughs> Except you actually Except we're a cult. Actually, I feel like our listeners get a bigger say in what we do than a board of directors does, or maybe stockholders. Shareholders. shareholders shareholders that's what our listeners are except you guys can actually influence what we do i feel yeah. like shareholders don't actually have a lot of power unless they have a fuck ton of shares that's why we're called yeah yeah the funerary cult the it's funerary awesome cult. join us join, join us <laughs> okay so today we are drinking akiyoshi 2018 cabernet sauvignon from California. Emily's favorite kind of wine. Oh, God. I Here's the thing. I was going to try to pick something that wasn't a cab saw, but, like, that's all that's left we, in my box. I was going to say, we have so many, like, I think it's because we went through this summer and we drank most of our whites. because, like, Or just, I went and bought yeah. wine instead of relying on my and wine box. Because I was looking around even last week. I was like, oh, my God, we have so many reds. But yeah, it's, it's all cab saws and Shirazes. It's coming into fall and winter, and it's nice to hunker down with a nice red in the winter. Here's the thing. We're coming up very quickly on October, and that's when we get our spooky-themed wine. I'm so so we're going to have to go and buy new wine I anyway. I have one upstairs. Oh, that's right. I'm very excited for that one. Okay, so I believe we've had David Akiyoshi before. I don't remember what the varietal was or like what kind, but anyway, here's what the back says. And it's all in like pretty italic scripts. So oh, see, even the front is fancy. really pretty. This Cabernet Sauvignon is made from vineyards located in my two favorite appellations, which I had to look up. And that's regions where grapes grow and they have distinctive flavors and tastes and blah, blah, blah. One lends an amusing personality and a sense of joy, while the other enhances the union, providing a depth, character, structure, slash stability, and richness. Mm -hmm. As a blend, it is a match made in heaven and exclusively for angels to enjoy. Cheers from David Akiyoshi, because this is for my Naked Wines box. So I'm, I'm already a glass in, because... 
Jared is visiting his family. I don't have to worry about shit. So I'm I ready to have, party. I should have asked if you wanted Chinese food then. Oh, damn. That's okay. My I'll bad. just I'll usually, eat more of your you cookies. You usually just run away afterward. I know. I'm, And that disappoints me because when we started this, it was like we pre-gamed with Veronica Mars yeah. and then did the podcast and then like hung out for another few hours to sober up. And now it's like we come, we get our business done and I usually have to go, but I'm like... I'm ready to hang out. I'm ready to hang. Let's do this. Maybe I'll walk down to uh, the gas station and get some snacks. No, I won't do that. That's uh, that's me being tipsy enough to be ambitious. But I know by the time this episode's over, my ambition's going to be gone. <laughs> so, Kelly, what should we cheers to? Um, I don't know. Should we cheers to Emily? Uh, we should te- cheers to two podcasters together forever, security in life, and someone to talk to instead of being all alone. Such a lonely existence. Cheers. Is that from something? It's uh, it's a play on a Bob's Burgers Thanksgiving song, mm. or no, 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 Valentine's Day song. Excuse mm. me. I was like, that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, that's uh, two people together forever, security in life, and someone to love you. Instead of being all alone, such a lonely existence, I killed myself. I decided to omit that last part because that's a little dark. <laughs> a little bit dark. So I'm going to hop right into it, turn my phone on silent instead of hitting the button to turn it on ring. It should be fun. <laughs> Not that anyone ever calls me, but with my luck, this would be the one time that someone does. Absolutely. All right. So today I'm covering Mary Anning. A nice name. I I do like I like that last name Anning. I know. I feel that her parents missed out on this great opportunity to name her Ann Anning. It's like my parents always. So my birth name, my birth last name is Nickel, and my parents were. I always told my parents, I'm like, you should have named me Penny. You missed your opportunity. <laughs> what if you were a boy, Nicholas Nickel, or even Nicole Nickel? A lot of people thought my name was Nicole Kelly. Instead of Kelly Nickel. Because you know how like in like on school rosters, it's always last name, first name. Mm-hmm. But even though everybody else's name was last name, first name, I had several teachers yeah, that thought my name was Nicole. I can see that. And I'm like, no, there's no E. <laughs> like, I, that means absolutely nothing, though. You would not believe how people spell names. It's all Trust me, I work, insane I work bullshit. In, intake for nursing and yeah. yeah some of the names I'm just like all right moving on like <laughs> you have a really weird name well and like you you get one name and then it's spelled 8,000 different ways where it's like oh there's an I instead of a Y or an E instead of a W like I don't know it's totally insane yeah and there's like sometimes all these extra letters thrown in there where it's like if you want your child's name to be unique, name them something unique instead of just like changing how you spell it, making their name impossible to spell, yeah. unspellable. <laughs> Anyways, back to Mary Anning, whose name is very easy to spell. Yes, thank God. She was born in 1799 in Lyme Regis in the southwest English country of Dorset. So we're in England. Ooh, I just um, watched a documentary on British dinosaurs, so I'm very say, in that mode. People would very like Lyme Regis is a very big part of, of what is now called the Jurassic Coast, so it is part <gasps> of I that. I literally exactly. just learned about that. Holy shit! Shut the fuck up. Yeah. So it's like south. 
Yep. Yes! And, and there are still discoveries being made on in the Jurassic Coast to this day. Oh, so my like God. It's, it's a huge place for fossil hunters. I think I know who you're talking about, and I am here for it. I've literally been binging dinosaur documentaries I was, since yesterday. I was yesterday. writing this, and I was like... Oh my god! I oh god! I am I am so wet right now. Let's do this. Okay. So just to give um, everyone like a time frame here, while Mary was growing up, King King George the Third was king. The war between Britain and Napoleon's French army was starting and then raging on, and Jane Austen had only re- written Sense and Sensibility. That's where <laughs> we're at. So her father was named Richard. He was a cabinet maker and carpenter who supplemented his income by mining the coastal cliffside fossils. Why not? Exactly. This is, we are, how are we not, how have we not just like fused together as the same person? I don't know. Because that would be too much for everyone to handle. Yes. The world would implode. You know how like people say that um, everyone is given a flaw, like, Otherwise, they'd be too powerful. It's yeah, like they're they're us. they're heroes. Their heroes' flaw, our heroes' flaw is that we are not the same. Exactly. <laughs> so, and then um, her mother, Mary Moore, who was known as Molly, was a was a homemaker, and then helped um, her husband Richard with selling the fossils he would dig up. Yeah. So the Anning family were known as re- there's a tiny fly. So if you hear me like making noise, anyways, it's dinosaurs walking. <laughs> Go. Can I just squish you? No, apparently not. Okay. So the Anning family were known as religious dissenters during this time, which were Protestants who had separated from the Church of England. They were also a very poor family, which kind of sucks. So they attended the dissenter chapel, whose worshipers initially called themselves independents, and they would later become known as congregationalists. Uh, Shelley Emling, who was Mary Anning's, like, core biographer okay uh wrote that the family lived so near to the sea that the same storms that swept along the cliffs to reveal fossils sometimes flooded the annings home and on at least one occasion forced them to crawl out of an upstairs bedroom window to avoid drowning oh my god so that's live on a little shack on the beach is basically how I imagine it. It's it's so funny because if you told me they lived in like a little shack on the beach, I'd be like, that's actually really lovely. But you led with the drowning. <laughs> so now I'm like, well, maybe that wouldn't be so cool. Right. So here's the lowest point of my story. Molly and Richard would have 10 children. Uh, the first child named, named Mary, different Mary. <laughs> oh, God. Was born in 1794. She was followed closely by another daughter who died in infancy. Joseph was born in 1796 and another son in 1798 who also died in infancy. And in December of 1798, Mary I, who was four years old at that point, died after her clothes caught fire, probably while adding wood shavings to the fire in their home. So this family is either drowning or catching on fire. There is no in between. Yep. They've had. Where is a flood when you need one? They've had four kids and so far one has survived. So Mary II, our Mary, was born five months later and was named Mary after the sister who died. I I can't tell if that's sweet or if that messes me up. More children were born after her, but none of them survived more than a year or two. So only the second Mary and her brother Joseph, who was three years older than her, survived to adulthood. 
this high childhood mortality rate that the Anning family had was not unusual for the time, unfortunately. Almost, right. almost half of the children born in the UK in the 19th century died before the age of five. You know, when it's... I, So, yeah, high child mortality, totally get it. We talk about it all the time. You know, a family will have like... 10,000 children and then like only three survived to adulthood. Right. I think what fucks me up is that one died in like this tragic freak fire. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I get you. You children get sick and they're too weak to like survive. But I don't know. That really fucks me up. That one of them just like burned to death. Oh, I hate that. So like I said, almost half the children born in the UK died. Um, and in crowded areas like the Lyme Regis, where they lived, infant deaths from diseases such as smallpox and measles were super fucking common because there's so many people ta- packed into such small like areas that transmission was insane. And yeah, it's kids are super susceptible to smallpox and measles. Get your kids vaccinated. I was going to say too bad there was nothing um, to uh, defend against those kinds of illnesses right. at the time. So when Mary was 15 months old, something interesting happened to her and she became part of local lore to the, in the region. She was being held by a neighbor, Elizabeth Haskings, who was standing under a tree with two other women watching an equestrian show that was being put on by a company of traveling like horsemen. You know, it's like a big entertainment thing. Horses and top hats on board. Right. I'm there. Um, when the tree that they were under was struck by lightning, it killed all. All three women (gasps) and the baby, or so they thought. Onlookers rushed the infant home where she was revived in a bath of hot water. A local doctor declared her survival miraculous. Mary's family said that she had been a sickly baby before the event, but afterwards she seemed to blossom. For years afterward, members of her communities would attribute her curiosity to and intelligence to the incident. They're basically like... So she was essentially struck by lightning and survived. God touched this kid and was like, I imbue you with curiosity. That... What a horror... Okay. I know. What is going on (laughs) in this family? family? Like, the the illness, I get that. But like, one of their kids... Joseph is super lucky because he's the only one that didn't have a near-death experience or die. Like, Mary, their first Mary caught on fire and their second Mary got struck by by lightning. While being held by someone else. Are you fucking kidding me with this? It's insane. Oh my God. It sounds like it almost like... It's like when you restart your computer... (laughs) Like, she blue screened for she blue screened for a second, but it was fine. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, she's really sickly, and then she got struck right. by lightning. And like, I mean, hi, struck by lightning, ten out of ten, highly recommend. Yeah, right? That's the new organic miracle cure: <laughs> lightning strikes. So the Lyme Regis, where they lived, both partially was known for being like having really poor areas, but also that their women and girls were not super well educated. Probably because of it being poor. And I mean, this is the 19th century. A lot of women and girls all over the world are not being educated. Unless at this they're point. in the like higher echelons of society. And yeah, then Mary's they're only, definitely not. Yeah. And then they're only educated to a point where they can kind of like mingle in high society right. and be a Enough great to be able accessory to be for their husband. A debutante, basically. And yeah. be able to throw. And yeah, you know, enough. And then they would get sent off to finishing school. Yeah, and then they get married and then their lives end. Exactly. So Mary had very little formal education, but she was able to read mainly. She used the method I've talked about before where she would like copy letters and stuff and like kind of just like taught herself to read that way. 
And she taught herself geology and anatomy the same way, like just by reading books and shit. Super smart girl. Love her. So during her, her, like as she was growing up, her, this Lyme Regis area had become a very popular seaside resort, mainly because a lot of wars were breaking out in Europe and people really couldn't go anywhere else. (laughs) So like this area has very beautiful cliffs and like, so like, um, the middle class and wealthy tourists started coming and, you know, like resorts were built and blah, 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 blah. So the locals, like I mentioned, her father um, would supplement their income by selling what they would call curios to visitors. These were fossils that they found, you know, on the cliffs um, that they the, the locals had colorful nicknames for. So they had the snake stones, which are the am- ammonites. Ammonite, ammonites, A M M O N I T E S. Yeah, yeah, those are the, like the squid with the really yep, big um, yep. horns. So snake stones, I get that. Devil's fingers, which were the bellamonites, and then the vertebraries, which were the vertebra of like ichthyosaurs and stuff. Exactly. I'm sorry, the vertebraries. I know it's that kind of fantastic. Adorable. I'm like that should be somebody's band name. I was just gonna say that's my new screen name for everything. The vertebrae. See, <laughs> we've come up with your your Tinder profile. This should be your Tinder profile name. Yes. Yes. Vertebrae. Here's the thing: if you have if you have the guts to message someone whose display name is vertebrae, like you're worth. A couple of messages. Right. You know? So all of these things, a lot of times people attributed like medicinal or mystical properties to just because they were different, you know? Yeah. Um, the other reason stuff like this sold so well is because fossil collecting, particularly in the late 18th century and the early 19th century, was very in vogue, if you will. Like it was super fucking popular. Yeah. Um, because, mainly because this it wasn't quite a science yet, and as it advanced more. It gradually transformed into a science as the importance of fossils to geology and biology started to be understood. Basically, as people kind of pulled away from the church more, they realized like how important this was. And I bring that up later. Um, and the source of most of these fossils were found on coastal cliffs at this time around the Lyme Regis part. Like I said, it's part of now what is known as the Jurassic Coast, particularly in a section known as the Blue Lias, which is like uh, the geological formation that's in that mm-hmm. area. Well, and because you have that that rock is made up of layers upon layers oh, yeah. going back millions of years, and it's being worn away by the ocean. So you could so, and then every time you know. Mary's house floods, more stuff is worn away and more fossils are revealed. Yep. Do you talk at all about Megalosaurus? No. Okay. I Can I just interject with something I learned that's sure. pertinent to your story? So speaking of um, dinosaurs suddenly becoming like really popular and fossil collecting becoming really popular, the first official like dinosaur that was identified was Megalosaurus in 1824. And that was identified by a, oh God, I think he was a, a, a monk or a, he was a man of the cloth, some kind of religious figure. And the interesting thing about it is he's like, oh shit, this brings up a lot of questions. Yeah, I, I do I do mention that. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, so it was kind of this like butting heads of like, 
what's being discovered in the sense that's being made out of it and then religious doctrine and like that power struggle and yeah, it blows it my mind that a man up. of the cloth is like yeah this Guys, shit is um this is some heavy shit and he was he was a pretty intelligent like geologist and right, early paleontologist yeah. that's super cool yeah so richard mary's father yep. back to him would often take Mary and her brother Joseph on fossil hunting expeditions to supplement the family's income because three hands are better than one. Well, six hands are better than two. (laughs) Um, They would offer their discoveries for sale to tourists on a table outside their home. So this was a very difficult time for England's poor. The French Revolutionary Wars, closely followed by the Napoleonic Wars, because Napoleon's a jackass, um, (laughs) caused a lot of food shortages, particularly in poor areas, the price of wheat almost tripled between 1792 and 1812. Jeez. But the wages that the working class were earning basically remained unchanged, probably because they couldn't afford to pay them anymore. I was going to say, it's it's this sudden rapid inflation that right. no one can keep up with because how many years was that? It was just a few years that all of a sudden prices are 20 years. triple. Yeah. Okay, 20 years, but still. That's, that's huge. For prices of a, a staple item to triple. Right. Shit. So um, in Dorset, which is the, the county they were living in, the rising price of bread caused a lot of political unrest and even riots, actually. At one point, Richard was actually involved in organizing protests against the food shortages. Unfortunately, in 1810... Uh, Mary's father, Richard, suddenly died. It was from tuberculosis and previous back injuries from landslides and stuff working the cliffs to get these fossils, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh. Um, Joseph would go on to take up an apprenticeship as an upholsterer to make money, and their fa- their mother, Molly, encouraged Mary to help pay off the family's debts by selling her fines because, unfortunately, their father left them with quite a few debts. I bet. Um, however, Molly and Joseph did help when they could basically um and they continued collecting and selling fossils together they set up a table of curiosities near a coach shop at the local inn so they actually like moved a little closer to like the (laughs) uh like a horse-drawn carriage coach that means Um, nothing to my me and my modern sensibilities (laughs) and although um my story is going to focus on mary um her mother and her brother were also like astute collectors and you know they sold fossils and I stuff mean they too. they were early like I I don't know if paleontologists would be quite the right word because they're more like collecting and selling versus studying but right early exactly it's interesting so yeah. we're moving to 1811 so it's about a year after her father's death Mary's 12 at this point oh my okay so she's a literal baby the entire yep. time Mary's 12 Joseph her brother is 15 So Mary and Joseph were out on a fossil hunting expedition and Joseph found a very strange looking skull. He took it home and Mary was like, there has to be more to this. And so she searched and searched and painstakingly dug through the cliff near where her brother had found the skull to dig out an outline of a 4.2 meter long skeleton. Shut the fuck up. 5.2. Oh my God. Because they're finding a lot of like small bits of sea critters. That is 17 feet for our American listeners. (laughs) Just, just cause I, I was like, someone's going to want to know that. Which I know is most of you guys. By the time that she was done, which was several months later, like this took so much time. Everyone in town knew that she had discovered what must've been a monster. 
So Henry, oh my God. Henry Hosta Henley of Sandringham House, which is like, <laughs> that's a big deal in England. Sorry, say that five times fast. That's like your, your warm up. Henry Henley. That's like your warm up verbal exercise exercises. Right. So he was known as the Lord of the Manor of Colway, which is near the Lyme Regis. And he paid $23 for it. Shut your fucking I, mouth. I did not do any conversions on this, but he paid $23 for it. And in turn, he would go on to sell it. To William Bullock, which is the greatest last name ever, who was a well-known collector who would go on to display it in London. It generated a lot of interest because, as Emily mentioned, this is a lot of time. This is a time in where people in England still believed in the biblical account of creation, which implied the Earth was only a few thousand years old. And this raised a lot of questions about the history of living things and about the Earth itself. Six thousand years, to be precise. Yeah, right. <laughs> It was later sold for $45 and five shillings um, as the crocodile in a fossil state to Charles Koenig of the British Museum, who had already suggested the name Ichthyosaurus for it. <gasps> oh, shut the fuck up. Yep. That's so her, amazing. Her brother discovered the first Ichthyosaurus skull, but Mary discovered the first essential The rest of it. Exactly. So that's a huge, and that's why it was so big. Ichthyosaurus were fairly large creatures and for anyone who doesn't know yeah they're basically these large long-snouted dolphin looking yeah, things with they're real giant, fucking weird like, looking but they're cool dinner plate sized eyes like these things are bonkers all i can think of is uh, arc yes <laughs> we tamed our ichthyosaurs in arc right if you ever want to play like a good like survival game that has dinosaurs play arc yes it's real good which is literally like kelly if we have like, enough interest i will spin up a server for all of us to play together oh hell yes here's the funny thing i'm not super into playing video games aren't pokemon go because i just i don't have the time but anymore to play arc but she's like we had a, hey. la- we had a land party and we all yeah. played arc together that she's like fun. hey video game with dinosaurs i'm like i don't even need to know what it is we could be fucking dinosaurs i'm there right <laughs> so um by this time, George Cuvier, I think is how you pronounce mm-hmm. his name, who is the father of paleontology, yay, um, had only recently started to introduce the theory of extinction um, when the ichthyosaur was discovered. And just for people who want to know, Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species wouldn't be published for another 48 years. That's where we are in history. Oh my God. So they're just starting to try and introduce the theory of extinction and Charles Darwin basically isn't even on the map yet. And that is still a controversial, and I, unsexy air bunnies here, controversial topic, like evolution. Okay, can I tell a quick story? Yeah, why not? So I'm a huge dino nerd. And I, when I, I knew you would love this, I know I am like, I'm just basking in all of this. So when I worked with, uh, when I worked at the daycare, I was working with a group of school agers one day and Mm -hmm. there was a dinosaur book. And one of the kids was like, Hey, what's this book? And I'm like, I latched into that shit so hard. I'm like, yeah, let me tell y'all. And so we're talking about dinosaurs. I'm answering all these questions and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, what happened to the dinosaurs? I'm like, well, we theorized that a comet, you know, I'm explaining the whole like extinction theory. And I love you. This five-year-old girl, she's like, God, shit. I even remember exactly what she said, but she's like. That's what she said. God, shit. (laughs) God, shit. Damn it. But she's like, basically like, but I thought God made all the animals and then Adam and Eve. And I'm like, like, "Mm." and I literally was about to like, I'm like, wait, Emily, this is a five-year-old. 
uh, she probably goes to church and her parents probably told like, don't tell me the wires. And so I was kind of like, oh, hey, guys, let's go play a game like totally divert because I'm like, I am not getting into an argument about creationism versus evolution and dinosaurs uh, with a five year old where her parents so could probably kill you, me though, because that's so true. Like, unfortunately, you have to think like when kids are that young, you kind of got to think about it. You yeah. know, like if it was an adult or even probably someone over the age of like eight. OK, maybe 12. You know, like I think you could say something then. But yeah, like otherwise it's like, mm, I think let's I just let's just I think you handled that. Yeah, situation no, I, I think I think nowadays I probably would says would have said something along the lines. Well, well, that yeah, you know, some people believe that and, you know, some and people believe on. that a comet shot down and, you know, it's just kind of for all of us to decide what we think. Right. And form our own opinions. So this mysterious specimen, which would liter, uh, later be known as the ichthyosaurus or the fish lizard. <laughs> was studied and debated for years. Though now we know it is neither fish nor lizard, but actually a marine reptile. And it lived somewhere between 201 and 194 million years ago. Just saying. Anyways. But Kelly, I thought the world was only 6,000 years old. Get out of this outfit. (laughs) So anyways, Mary continued to support herself selling fossils. She moved out of her family home and kind of like set herself up. Her primary stock and trade consisted of invertebrate fossils, mainly because they're fucking everywhere. Yeah. In areas like the Jurassic Coast, you know, like where, yeah, the the ocean is kind of wearing away at these cliffs that have all these different layers. Invertebrate fossils are really easy to find. Um, So many of them. Right? And so she would sell the amniote and belemite shells and fossils she found. And, you know, she'd sell them for a few shillings here and there. Vertebrate fossils such as ichthyosaur skeletons. Obviously not, like, whole ichthyosaur skeletons. Because that's so rare. um, Would obviously sell for more, but were much rarer. Mm -hmm. Obviously. Um, And um, collecting them was dangerous dangerous work there was often landslides and like you had to deal with the you know you had to watch the the tide coming in and out or storms or like a whole bunch of other stuff in 1823 there was an article written about mary that said the following quote this persevering female has has for years gone daily in search of fossil remains of importance at every tide for many miles under the hanging cliffs of lime whose fallen masses are her immediate object as they alone contain these valuable relics of a former world which must be which must be snatched at the moment of their fall at the continual risk of being crushed by the half suspended fragments they leave behind or be left to be destroyed by the returning tide to her exertions we owe nearly all the fine specimens of the ichthysauri of the great collections that's amazing. Yeah. I think it's so, I think it's uh, interesting you're talking about the landslides too, because in that show I was watching, it's like Dinosaurs of Britain or whatever. It's by yeah. Real Wild. You can find it on YouTube I might have to watch it right now. now. Oh, it's okay. Here's the thing. Here's what you need to know. They have the, they have like CGI dinosaurs placed in modern settings, mm. but. And that that's fine with me, but then the characters react like they're act, like, not the characters, but the people in the documentary react like they're actually seeing this. It's a that's a little too cheesy for me. I get what they're doing, but like people start running and screaming because a baryonyx is walking out of a museum. I'm like, fucking, just show me the goddamn animal. It's natural environment. I don't. 
but right. it, it's educational. It's really interesting because when I think dinosaurs, literally the last place I probably think of is Britain. Right. You know, but they're huge. But in that show, they talk about the Jurassic coast yeah. and the, and safe ways to excavate because I they have it's so funny that you just watched that show. And now I'm talking about, it. Yeah. this is one of those things we last talk about. We night. have this fucking mind link. People. Yeah. People- I'm also two glasses of wine in yeah but here's drunk you know, kelly for those who love it people talk about you know getting like synced on your periods we are synced spiritually and maybe on our periods we'll talk later but they talk <laughs> about how you have to look at stones and you know excavate it's away crazy. from the cliffs otherwise there there's a risk of landslide and right. mary's like i got it let's just fucking do this let's dig in there so talking about that um the risk of mary's professions were very well illustrated when an in October of 1833, she barely avoided being killed by a landslide that buried her black and white terrier. No! I know. His name, oh! was, his name was Trey, and he had been her constant companion when she was collecting for the last several years. She wrote to a friend um, named Charlotte Mur- Murchison, um, and she said this, quote, Perhaps you will laugh when I say that the death of my old faithful dog has quite upset me. The cliff that fell upon him and killed him in a moment before my eyes and close to my feet. It was but a moment between me and the same fate. Is it? Okay, you said the saddest part of your story was all the yeah, okay, child that's true. mortality. A, a dog dies. <laughs> my feet sadder. And I'm like, I'm not I mean, trying to make a statement where here. But I'm just saying like child mortality rates were so high at the time like her family didn't get off any worse than anyone else but the dog getting crushed in a landslide fucks me up there is a really (laughs) cute painting of like her in her like finery i mean not finery but like you know the dress of the time with like the terrier curled up at her feet except it doesn't look like a terrier it kind of looks more like my mother-in-law's dog which are king charles cavalier spaniels but i'll give them a little license yeah so Mary barely knew what dinosaurs were. They didn't know shit about (laughs) dogs. They didn't know what dinosaurs were. We still don't even know where dogs came from. (laughs) Right. Mary continued to make important finds, and as she did, her reputation grew. However, some of these finds were super controversial, of course. And in 1823, Mary was the first to discover the complete skeleton of a plesiosaurus, which means near to reptile, which is a lot closer in name. But it's funny, whenever I read Plesiosaurus, I think of Leopleurodon, even though they're completely different species. Super different. <laughs> um, and then that brings to mind something that's totally going to date me. Charlie but, the Unicorn. Yeah, but it's a Leopleurodon, Charlie. It's the a magical Leopleurodon. All, all of our, all like, I could fucking think of. All of our millennial listeners, like, their hearts were just filled. And anyone who doesn't know that... After this episode, Google Charlie the Unicorn and uh, your heart will also two. be filled. It is episode two. That, that was the first nope, one. The Leopardon is in the second oh, okay. one. The first one's better, though. Let's go to Candy Mountain, Charlie. Charlie. <laughs> stole my fucking kidneys. <laughs> uh, anyways, so strange was this, this um, plesiosaurus specimen that she found. It was the news quickly spread and a lot of people were saying that's fake. Look up a plesiosaurus skeleton and yeah i could definitely think like that people that had trouble accepting um an ichthyosaurus would definitely have problems accepting a plesiosaurus well and i'm sure you're going to describe what it looks like but those things look like they shouldn't be able to live and exist you know so yeah a plesiosaurus is basically i don't even know like how to describe it like the loch ness monster 
the Loch Ness Monster would probably be a plesiosaurus. Let's be honest. So it has like a super long neck with like a kind of small, but like small skull, but with like long jaws for eating fish. Snappy teeth. And then it has like a bigger, robust body with front fins and back fins and then a little tail. It is the weirdest fucking looking thing. But yeah, like I guess like looking at a picture of it and thinking about like what people describe the Loch Ness Monster as, Nessie would probably be well, a plesiosaurus. And that it, p- people who believe that Nessie is out there have posited that there's a plesiosaur that's trapped in Loch Ness and that's what people are seeing, which I don't think I quite buy. Right. Uh, but yeah. And they don't think that there is any, like, modern version of the plesiosaur alive. They're pretty sure that the line that the plesiosaur was um, part of kind of died out because they were just so enormous. And they were predators. Yeah. So. They're literally um, too big to live. (laughs) Unlike, you know, other things like ichthyosaurs where they're like, well, you know, dolphins probably evolved from some variation of an ichthyosaur. Mm -hmm. Uh, Plesiosaurs, they're like, nah, that. There is nothing like there is. There is nothing modern that I can even relate it to. Yeah. So Georgius Cuvier, who I mentioned before, the father of paleontology, actually would dispute this finding himself. And a special meeting was scheduled at the Geological Society of London. Though Mary wasn't allowed to attend, even though it was her goddamn fossil. They were like, nah, you're a woman. You got to like stay away i love they get all these important people together to talk about how she's full of shit and they won't even let her right like, be there by the end of this debate though cuvier did admit his mistake and they were like okay yeah it is real um so they 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 admitted their mistake and what sucks is this helped her reputation um for finding and identifying fossils but the scientific community at large was still super hesitant to recognize her work male scientists who would frequently buy mary's fossils that she would uncover clean prepare and identify don't say what you're about to say would often not credit her with the discoveries that they would go on to write scientific papers about even when writing about her the ichthyosaurus she found they still wouldn't credit her. I literally asked you not to I say know, what you were I about to say. To. That is so frustrating. So she is... Pour me more wine. She is on the cliffs, almost getting murdered by landslides, watching like her dog get murdered by landslides, selling these specimens to scientists who then are like... I found this. I found this. Right. Yeah, I was just like walking around in my mansion, and uh, this was just like hanging out in the hallways. So, I didn't even know I had that hallway. Yeah, even the Geological Society of London, that place that she wasn't invited to like defend herself to, mm-hmm. wouldn't admit her. In fact, they wouldn't admit women at all until 1904. Just saying. Anyways, back to 1826. Mary's 27 now. She managed to save enough money to purchase a home. And a glass storefront for her shop. So she's she's doing fairly well. She named it Anning's Fossil Depot, which I love. Um, this business had become important enough that the move was covered in the local paper, which noted that the shop had a fine ichthyosaur skeleton on display. Many geologists and fossil collectors from Europe and America would visit her at Lyme, including the geologist George William Featherston Howe. <laughs> That is like the longest name um, who called Anning a quote, very clever, funny creature. Episode title. Yeah, right. Very 
clever, funny, funny creature. creature. I feel like anytime a woman is like smart, they get called like funny and creature. Creature. Like at least say woman or lady. I okay. It, devil's advocate. Creature. I feel like was a much more common term, even that, in an endearing way. Like I suppose oh, back look, then, look at this lovely creature. Back you know? then, that is true. Nowadays, not so much. But I but guess yeah. yeah. Back then, you're right. Oh, you uh, you're independent and you're intelligent and you're willing to like get your hands dirty climbing on these cliffs. What a funny, clever creature you are. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so in 1828, Mary uncovered a strange jumble of bones. She was piecing it together and wasn't sure she was quite right. This time, this creature had a long tail and wings. Once again, news of her discovery traveled fast. Scientists from London to Paris theorized what this, quote, unknown species of that most rare and curious of all reptiles. <laughs> Love it. What she found, they thought, were the first remains attributed to a dimorphodon. However... They found out that it it was it, so it was the first pterosaur ever discovered outside of Germany, and they later named it the pterodactyl. <gasps> Shut the! F- she found the pterodactyl, the most yep. iconic of flying reptiles, yep. which are technically not dinosaurs. That is bonkers. Yep. Shut the so, front door. Unlike ichthyosaurs and plesiosaurs, pterosaurs have wings and were believed to be the largest ever flying animals. Just so, you know, me and you know that, Emily, but for other people. um, Another of Mary's contributions to science, though arguably less glamorous than all of these other ones, is that she actually pioneered the study of coprolites, which is fossilized poo. Yeah, I was... I keep trying not to like jump in because I'm know. like, say copper light, say co-. I'm I'm geeking out so hard right so now. So she she was the one that like pioneered the study of that, which oh is my super cool. God. So she would go on to uncover fossil after fossil. She would still sell many of her finds, which increasingly fueled public interest both in geology and paleontology. People would flock to her fossil displays, um, and even major museums at the time kept up with the demand unfortunately that wouldn't last you know it's one of those things it was a trend unfortunately by 1830 because of difficult economic conditions in britain overall it really started to reduce the demands of fossils coupled with long gaps between her major finds mary was starting to have some financial problems because there were no educational grants for fossils she's literally just a one woman wrecking team digging into these cliffs to find them and sell them you know she's not like leading a team on excavations that are funded by a university or something right um however during this time even um her childhood friend henry de la beche don't know if that's how you pronounce it love it um who is also a famous who's a famous geologist um would go on to paint quote Duria and Tequor, or a more ancient Dorset, and this is in about 1830, he would go on to sell prints to raise money for Mary um, t- to help her. Um, so this Duria and, and, and Tequor, um, which included the complete ichthyosaur, plesiosaur, and pterosaur, is the first ever pictorial representation of prehistoric life based on fossil evidence. This art form is now known as paleo art, and it helps to understand a little about life on Earth millions of years ago. Paleo art is still popular today from meticulous renderings um, used for research all the way to dinosaur t-shirts that you see. Yeah. Um, So later that year, 
Mary was able to, to make another major find, this time a skeleton of a new type of plesiosaur, which would go on to sell for $200. Damn, that's a long jump from $23. I know, right? <laughs> um, it was around this time that Mary also switched from attending um, the local congregational church or the dissenter's church um, to the, angelical, the Anglican church. Um, this was mainly prompted because like a well-known and well-loved pastor left and the person that replaced him was not well-liked as well as the social respectability that came with being a part of the established church, unfortunately. So Mary, um, Mary's gentleman geologist customers, you know, were, some of them were ordained clergy. And so that was a factor that they, you know, like they kind of felt like, you know, should I be buying from a dissenter kind of a thing? She was like crossing these like religious political right. lines. So she decided not to. And Mary, Mary was a very devout religious, religious person actually. And she actively supported her new church as much as she had her old. She was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to do it all the way. So she would, um, Though her new plesiosaur find would um, maintain her for a while, she suffered another serious financial setback um, when she lost most of her life savings in a bad investment. Um, Sources differ from what exactly went wrong. Some people say she was swindled out of her money. Some people say she invested in something and then the person died, so she was unable to recover, like, the money she invested. It's unknown. I'm imagining that she had a dream that said invest in Apple and she invested in some like crappy little Apple cart thinking that's what it meant. And And then it it burned down. Yeah. Or or flooded or, you know, got struck by lightning or some bullshit. Right. So seeing her struggling, her friend William Buckland persuaded the British Association for the Advancement of Science and the British government to award her an annuity known as a civil list pension in return for her contributions to the science of geology. That she had obviously made. So they started giving her a 25 pound annual pension, which gave her some financial security. I think when we, when I covered Sarah Biffin, she got something like that because she, she was a painter and uh, her patron started to kind of dry up and someone helped her get an annuity from the queen because she was like just such a prolific painter. They're like, you know, this person doesn't deserve to like live miserably for the rest of their life also we've kind of ignored all of her accomplishments and she's basically been doing this for no fucking money so maybe we should help her out we won't let her into our society yeah um so in later life she was diagnosed with breast cancer and her Mm. fossil work kind of tailed off during her last few years because she was sick um and during this time she was taking laudanum for her pain it's very common yeah but a lot of um townspeople started misinterpreting the effects of that laudanum and there started to be a lot of gossip that she had a drinking problem because the effects are very similar well because laudanum can kind of fuck you up a little in the head but it does it helps you with your pain Um, well yeah because you're so fucked up you don't feel pain (laughs) so even though that the townspeople maybe may have gossiped the regard for which uh mary Mary was held in the geological community, um, was still very much there. And in 1846, um, when they learned of her cancer diagnosis, the Geological Society actually raised money from its members to help with her expenses. And the council of the newly created Dorset County Museum um, made Mary an honorary member. Well, I mean, that's literally the least they could do. The least. Yeah, come on. Uh, Mary would go on 
go on to die of breast cancer in 1847. She was only 47 years old and still in financial strain, strain, despite a lifetime of extraordinary scientific discoveries. Well, and something I think it's important to point out, you know, even if a fossil is uncovered from a known specimen, this was an individual living animal and the chances that this creature survived, like its remains survived in a way for us to find it today is unimaginable. Especially something as big as a full ichthyosaur skeleton. But then also she was the first person to see the remains of these animals that lived millions of years ago to shed light on like that. Like I I can't even put it into words how... uh, like you talk about she was a religious woman. What a religious experience to uncover the remains of a living right? being that have been hidden for millions and millions of years and to imagine the life it might have lived and how it how it lived and how it made it and how it died. And right. there's so much poetry to it. And it's not just her discoveries. It's every single individual she uncovered furthers mm-hmm. our knowledge because so rarely... I don't know if ever anyone's found a complete skeletal like remains of something. It took you know, her months to do it. Yeah, but then, you know, every uh, group of fossils we find, you know, add a little bit to the puzzle. Like a Tyrannosaurus, we don't know every single bone that was right. in its body because we haven't found every single one. Right. We and found we largely never, complete pieces. And we can pieces. never be sure. Yeah, but I don't know. That just... It's insane. The the work that like paleontologists are doing and the work that she did and getting so little payback for it. And recognition like anything. And recognition yeah. because she's she's not only furthering our understanding of the planet, but just she's doing this work that is truly miraculous to me. Well, and even that first plesiosaur find, because her brother found the skull a lot you of You mean ichthyosaur, ich- yeah. Because her brother found the the skull, a lot of people um credit the discovery to him even though she found the rest of it if anything i would say it was a joint discovery they were working together but right. then she went I mean, back she, and yeah. found her you know I, I would say it was like 80 percent her 20 percent him yeah i mean she's like <laughs> well i don't 90-10. think this thing was just a, a head floating around so right. uh, where's the rest of it so she was buried on march 15th um, which was 144 years and one day before my birth. I was just going to say that was so close to your birthday. In the churchyard of St. Michael's, which was the, lo- the local church, uh, members of the Geological Society contributed to a stained glass window that was uh, finished and unveiled uh, in 1850. So, you know, a few years later. <laughs> but I, I mean, I would assume back then, like putting a stained glass window in was like a very timely process. It's a big deal. Yeah. So it, de- six, it depicts the six corporeal acts of mercy which are feeding the hungry giving drink to the thirsty clothing the naked sheltering the homeless visiting prisoners and the sick the inscription reads thus quote this window is sacred to the memory of mary anning of this parish who died on the 9th of march a.d 1847 and is erected by the vicar and some members of the geological society of london in commemoration of her usefulness in furthering the science of geology as also of her benevolence of heart and integrity of life. Oh. I love that. So after Mary's death, Henry de la Beche, who was the president of the Geological Society at the time, wrote a eulogy that he read to a meeting of the society and published in its quarterly transactions, which was the first such eulogy ever given to a woman. 
Oh, wow. Right. Um, the honors of the president of the Geological Society writing your eulogy were normally only accorded to fellows of the society, as I said, as I mentioned, who didn't admit women until 1904. I didn't copy his whole eulogy, but it starts out with this. Quote, I cannot close this notice of our losses by death without adverting to that of one who, though not placed among even the easiest classes of society, but one who had to earn her daily bread by her labor, yet contributed by her talents and untiring researches in no small degree to our knowledge of the great Analiosaurians and other forms of organic life entombed in the vicinity of Lyme Regis. That's really lovely. So, legacy. This is actually really long. Mary's discoveries became key pieces of evidence for extinction. Yay, we're finally getting to this part. <laughs> so, Georges Cuvier um, had argued for the reality of extinctions um, from the late 19- 1790s onward based on his analysis of fossils, such as mammoths. Um, nevertheless, uh, until the early 1820s, it was still believed, even by scientific people, um, that un- like even though new species were appearing, um, existing ones never became extinct because they, they, they felt that that would imply extinction, basically implied that God's works were imperfect. Like, that's how people felt extinction worked, mm-hmm. which, which to me makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> But, um, so a lot of times they would just explain that oddities would, you know, they, oh, we don't see them here, but they exist somewhere on earth, you know? So Mary really helped further extinction because the bizarre nature of things such as the plesiosaur or pterosaurs, you know, are, I mean, pterosaurs are close, but like their sheer size is so unlike any known living creature, especially the plesiosaur, like I said, there is no direct descendant. Right. That those really struck a major blow against people that were like, no, extinction doesn't exist. Like, people are like, then where the fuck is... Because Quetzalcoatlus is one of the oh most well-known pterosaurs, and it was that as thing tall was as... fucking huge. It was as tall as a fucking giraffe. Where the fuck did that thing go? <laughs> right? Like, I think it was too big to live too. I mean, it was, that, uh, that's the, what they, they say. It was at even, the end of the Cretaceous period that was hanging around. Yeah, even before the meteor that probably killed all the dinosaurs, they say a lot of the like really big ones like Quetzalcoatl and Plesiosaur and Mosasaur and a lot of the really, really big ones Spinosaurus. Probably, probably died off because there just wasn't enough food. Yeah, Spinosaurus went extinct before the Great Extinction event because it was it was the largest carnivorous dinosaur that land dinosaur that yep. we know of and yeah it was probably just too big and too specialized to live exactly so the ichthyosaur plesiosaur and pterosaur that mary found along with other dinosaur fossils found by people like gideon mantell and william buckland during the same time period showed that previous eras of earth were inhabited by creatures completely different than those living today and provided important support for another controversial suggestion of Cuvier's that there had been a quote unquote age of reptiles when, which most of them weren't reptiles, but whatever, <laughs> when reptiles rather than mammals had been the dominant form of animal life. I will say they weren't mammals either, but yeah. reptiles is not correct. Um, so these discoveries obviously played a key role in kind of proving that there was this other age where mammals were not dominant. 
and it really brought out a new discipline of geohistoric analysis within geology that would later go on to become paleontology. So she really was like one of the three founders of what eventually would become paleontology. Um, So throughout the 20th century, um, beginning with H.A. Ford and his The Heroine of Lyme Regis, the story of Mary Anning, a celebrated geologist. Um, So that was like the first book written about her, but a Mm -hmm. number of writers would go on to write about Mary's life. However, much of the material written was for some reason aimed at children and tended to focus on that like early childhood experience of being struck by lightning and then her early career, not like her full career for some reason. Honestly, I could totally see one of those books. Who is this? Like from the Who is or Who Am I series, right? Of about her, where it's like she was struck by lightning and then she was a dino nerd and right. Um, a lot of it was also like highly romanticized, whether whether or not like it was with men or with like she had a really close like best friend that like there was a a movie called like Ammonite Ammonite right? in twenty twenty. Yeah, I looked it was it in twenty twenty, and a lot of it like. Was it Kate Winslet that plays her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it has a lot of like romanticized things between her and her best friend, and a lot of people are like, "No, that probably wasn't true." They just like movies feel the need to like make a love interest, and so that's well, who and they picked. According to the Wikipedia of Omni, because I, I looked this up, like I googled her, and then it was like, "Wait, what? Kate Winslet? Mm-hmm. Recent? What is this?" It's a romantic drama film, and I was like, oh, my God, was Mary Anning a queer woman? Like, we need to, because sometimes that information yeah. doesn't really oh, yeah. present itself, so it I want to make sure we said it. like it. I looked it up. She, like, there's no factual, there's no evidence that she had a re- romantic relationship with anyone. any kind. So if you're going to make a, a, a supposition, if anything, she might be asexual, right. or maybe I she was know. just too busy trying to live her goddamn life. Exactly. Who knows? Like, apparently that was very common to highly romanticized not necessarily with other women i'm sure like for the time it was probably with men yeah but you know unfortunately a lot of those are not historically accurate because they're like they're so focused like ammonite on making the story look good that they don't really care about historical accuracy the thing is the story is already amazing Uh, i know like i i'm kind of disappointed because they took this amazing story and they're like, we're going to make it a lesbian love story. Like, I feel like they could have made it totally fiction. Like it's not even based on her. We just right. got this, you know, and made it its own and independent it thing because these women are so rarely elevated into the, you know, the, the right. greater consciousness. And Kate Winslet is a big name actress, you know? And so people are watching this or they're, maybe their interest will be sparked, which is right. great. But I feel like, for the most part, they're getting a totally inaccurate view of who this woman was, what her contributions were, and the work that she did. Now, granted, I have not seen the movie, but the fact that they're making it all about this like lesbian romantic drama. Right. The fact that it's pitched as a romantic drama. I'm like, I feel like you're missing the point, though. Right. So she would go on to be referenced in other historical novels that weren't made for children most most uh notably the french lieutenant's woman again there's no evidence that she was a french lieutenant's woman but what was interesting about this book which was by john Foles, is he was super critical of the fact that no british scientist had named a species of dinosaur after her in her lifetime like he was kind of mad about that i'm gonna i'm gonna find anningsaurus mary anningsaurus 
Don't worry. Okay, good. <laughs> so Mary's biographer, Shelly Emling, who I mentioned before, noted... Um, I'm sorry. I'm going to go deal with my dogs. Hold on. <laughs> that is fine. One of the dogs is like hardcore going at the door. She's digging for dinosaurs. because we moved the TV. <laughs> Hold on. Gotta get my blanket. Okay. Okay. So as Mary's biographer, Shelley Emling, noted, this contrasted with some of the prominent geologists who had used her finds, such as William Buckland and Roderick Murchison, who ended up with multiple fossil species named after them. The only person who would name a species after Mary during her lifetime was a Swiss-American naturalist named Luis Agassiz. He would name two fossils of fish species after, so they're not dinosaurs. That's why people are like, dude, really? Anyways. Well, she, her first big find was a marine I reptile, know. so it's kind of appropriate. So two fish fossils named after her. Um, the first one was May Arcadus anagenae. So her, you know, anning, anagenae. And then the... Bellinostromus anagenae as well. And then he also named another friend, uh, another one after her friend, Elizabeth Philpot, who is the friend that an Ammonite is the romantic interest. Okay. Um, he would go on, or he was super grateful for the help of the woman that had, had um, the women had given him in examining fossils, fish specimen during his visit to the area. So he had gone there and him and Mary had like worked together to identify some of these fossils. And so he actually did credit her um after anning's death or after mary's death other species um were named after her including the ostracod silithinidea energy and then two genre were named after her there is a therapsid reptile genus named anginea and then there is a bivalve mollusk genea uh, genus named Anginella. This was the worst part for all that wine to hit you. Like this yep. should have all been at the very beginning. Um, but they were both named in her honor, which is cool. I mean, they're still like, I mean, I guess uh, Therapocid is is a reptile. It's close. But I'm still kind of mad that there was no like true like dinosaur name. Is Therapocid like a theropod? Um, like a two-legged? Mm, I think so. Booger. It's a rept. It's a type of reptile. I know that there is. Um, there is also. I found this article. I'm sorry. I'm like nope, geeking out really it. hard. There's an article from LimeRegisMuseum.co.uk. Newly found ichthyosaur named after Mary Anning. A fossil ichthyosaur Yay. that was discovered on the Dorset coast in the 1980s has been discovered to be a totally new Yay. species. So sh- the first kind of creature. Oh, is this the Ichthyosaurus anginae? Yes. Yes. Okay, I do have that in my notes. So it was it. So in 2012, the or first, it was named after her in 2015. The first like large fossil that she found was an ichthyosaur. They found a new type of ichthyosaur and named it after her in the like uh, 1980s. They actually did. Well, it it became named after her in the 2015. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But. Um, she actually eventually did get a plesiosaur named after her, too. Oh, that's awesome. We'll, move on. we'll go to that in a second. So in 20, 2005, the Natural History Museum added Mary alongside scientists such as Carl Linnaeus, Dorothea Bate, and William Smith as one of their quote-unquote gallery characters, which are actors dressed in period costumes. <gasps> 
that like walk around and you can talk to. That so would that's be super so cool. much fun. Right? In 2012, the uh, one of the plesiosaur genus uh, was named Anagasaura, after her, after Anning. And then, as Emily mentioned, a an ichthyosaurus was also named after her in 2015. In 2009, Tracy Chevalier wrote a historical novel entitled Remarkable Creatures, um, in which Mary and her friend Elizabeth are the main characters, but it's more historically accurate. Um, And then in 2010, 163 years after her death, the Royal Society included Mary in the list of 10 British women who have most influenced history of science. So I think that's a huge honor. Yeah. Um, And then in 2018, there was a campaign called Mary Anning Rocks. No, Shut listen, up. it was formed by an 11 year old schoolgirl from Dorset. Oh her name, my God. Her name is Evie Swire. Um, it was obviously supported by her mother. Um, the campaign was set up to remember Mary in her hometown of Lyme Regis by erecting a statue and creating a learning legacy in her name. There was a crowdfunding campaign set up, but obviously it was put on hold due to COVID because COVID um, however, it was rebooted in November of 2020. It is now since closed, so unfortunately we can't donate to it. God damn it! But as of January 2021, Evie's campaign has succeeded and a sculptor, Denise Sutton, has been commissioned. It hasn't been built yet, but it's in the works. Evie Swire, you little queen you. Yes, I... You keep, are amazing. Keep this energy going. It's going to get harder the older you get, but keep this energy right. going because you are a queen. You I'm ke- are a I'm keeping this specific queen. section very clean because if she ever hears this, I want her to be able to listen you to it uncensored. You are amazing and are a queen. Evie, honey, you are literally the best. You are better than either of us were, will ever be. We bow down to you. And uh, we're going to go to Dorset to see yeah, that statue. When it's made, we're coming. Yeah. Yeah, we're coming for it. <laughs> um, so obviously Mary's legacy lives on along this rugged Jurassic coast. And now it is known as a world heritage site where scientists, amateurs, and adventurous children alike can gather year round to hunt for the next big find. You know what blows my mind? Okay. So she is doing this work in the 1800s. She dies, what, early 1900s? So she was, yeah, she was born in the late 18th century, died in the late 19th century. Well, okay. mid 19th century. Well, okay. It, it, it doesn't actually matter, but she's doing this stuff practically a million years ago. Right. You know, so not being hyperbolic. 1799. And then this. To 1847. Little girl in the year of our goddess, 2020, who's growing up in the same area, hears about her and she's like, why don't we have a statue of this lady? And then is like, I'm going to do something I'm gonna do about this. it. And her mom's like, fuck yeah, we going to do something <laughs> about it. Don't let Evie hear that part. She's so young and precious. Don't ruin her with our cursing. That is amazing. And you know, okay, there was a lot of controversy about that sculpture of dedicated to not entirely sure Mary Wollstonecraft. I actually saw someone like posted about that the other day and I'm like, God, I still hate that statue. So at least she has a statue. eh. Well, there's this whole thing about how like, it's like 99.9% of the statues in the UK are of men. And this was like meant to represent more women. And so I kind of hope that like 
Mary's going to get her own proper statue. I hope it's her with her dog holding a fossil, just being like, I got this. Right, with her dog <laughs> at her feet. I yes, really hope so. The dog needs to be there. That dog died for the cause. Please include the dog. Also include like a bolt of lightning. Like, can we get this thing to light up and flash? <laughs> it's too much. You're too much. That was the end of my story. Oh, okay. You're just sitting there staring at your screen. So I wasn't sure what was I know, going on. I was on. Just double checking. I'm like, nope. My little ending about how anyone can go and dig fossils on the Jurassic Coast if they really want to was well, my ending. And in that that video I was watching from Real Wild... There were it, there there was a uh, like an archaeological club that was digging while they were shooting that, and there were a bunch of kids finding fossils, and I'm like, they are literally living my childhood dream. I am devastated, and like it's so sweet, and there's so much stuff there. They're all finding shit, like it's insane, right? And that's the thing. So when we go to see her statue, we're gonna go dig for fossils. As oh, well. absolutely, one hundred percent. We're staying away from the cliffs though, because I am not getting murdered by a landslide. Although I will say, Emily dying from trying to find prehistoric fossils is kind of like the way I was probably destined to go. Especially digging on the same coast as a history hero, like that's very Fuck poetic. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Part of me was a little disappointed because I've been wanting to cover her and I just haven't gotten around to it. I'm sorry. But I loved hearing the story and just being able to like geek, geek out. out and enjoy it. I'm like Googling as you're, and I wasn't trying to step on your toes, but I was just like, this is amazing. Let me learn. Yeah. And the fact that I was literally just watching a documentary about British dinosaurs yesterday and today, like Kelly, we are so spiritually connected. It is a religious experience. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, today I'm going to be whining about Sue Johansson, the sex positive grandma. So I wanted to pick someone that was like really light and upbeat because my story last week was obviously very heavy. Real low. I needed something a little lighter. And Sue was kind of delivered to me through my friend Jory. What's up, Jory? She's a friend of the podcast. She is also the one that suggested... uh, Olga of Kiev, who had all those really creative Pinterest-worthy ways of murdering people and then became a saint anyway. Okay. So I feel like Jory is kind of like my spirit. She's like always just like sending me people and they're some of the best stories. So Jory was over and we had a bonfire and I don't even know how we got on the topic, but she was talking about a show that she used to watch really late at night and it was like, sex talk with Sue and it was this literal granny like imagine your grandmother it was this woman talking about sex relationships health sex toys so it was like like a granny version of like dear prudence or something kind of so I was like I need to cover this woman and Jared was in the room with us and he does a cursory Google search. He's like, oh yeah, you need to do this. That's super funny. I am now bringing to you, thanks to Jory, Sue Johansson. So Sue Johansson was born as Susan Powell on July 29th, 1930 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Of course, we got like an angel like her from Canada. Of course. So this is just in time for the Great Depression. Just super, super fun time to be growing up. Her father, Wilfred Powell, was a British war hero, and her mother, Ethel, came from a, like, well-to-do Irish Protestant family. 
And then sadly, Ethel died when Sue was only 10 years old. I'm not sure if this had an impact because I couldn't find a ton in her childhood, but Sue went on to become a registered nurse and she graduated from the St. Boniface uh, Hospital in Winnipeg with as a registered nurse. And she married her husband. Uh, I should know how to say this because it's Swedish. Hmm? Anor Johansson, E-J-N-O-R. Anor? Yeah. Enor. I, all I could think was like Eeyore, and I'm like, that can't be right. Please tell me it's not right. No, I think that sounds right. It's only the time. It's Anor. the only time I say his name, so it's fine. But he was a Swedish Canadian electrician, and together they had three children, and they oh. moved to North York, not New York, as I wrote the first time <laughs> because my brain autocorrected, North York to raise their family. Okay, now let's get to the action because it's like all I could find out about her personal life, really. So contraception, a.k.a. the stuff that keeps you from getting pregnant, was totally illegal in Canada until 1969, which is mind boggling to me. And I'm not saying the U.S. was any better, but I'm like, really? Like something that I take so for granted wasn't even legal until 1969. That was not that long ago. Before that, if you want contraception, you had to get it illegally and like, contraception is like pretty high up on my list of things I wouldn't want to get illegally. Right. Which includes super sketchy, literally other, any other medical necessity. And it, from what I read, it sounds like there was kind of this like unspoken thing. Like doctors would be like, Oh, if you like go here, you can get some stuff, but they couldn't prescribe it. And obviously it's not being regulated. You don't know what you're putting in your body because it's all super sketch and illegal. And here's the thing. Contraception can include things like condoms and diaphragms. Like it's not necessarily implants and pills. So like even the most basic contraception was illegal. Fucking A. Yeah, that's super, super stupid. Yeah. So like the very second that contraception became legal. So the following year in 1970, Sue opened up a birth control clinic in Don Mills Collegiate Institute, which despite the name is a high school. It's not college. It's a high school. So literally the year, I don't know what month it became legal, but like within the year, yep. Sue was like birth control clinic in a high school. Let's do this. Let's go. And this was the first of its kind. And I cannot even imagine opening up any kind of health clinic in a high school, let alone a birth control clinic or any kind of clinic that caters to people who can get pregnant. Right. Like, Anything to do with pregnancy or uteruses or ovaries or any kinds, any of those organs blows my mind. And in 1970, she's like, we're doing this shit. Let's do it. I love her. I love her already. Yeah. So Sue ran the clinic for 18 years and like a true badass, pursued her continuing education while working a full-time job like someone else I know, (laughs) Kelly. She completed postgraduate courses in counseling and communication, family planning, and human sexuality, graduating as a counselor and sex educator. And she she completed her schooling both in Canada and the United States. Wow. Yeah. So she's... 
I wish I could find more about her personal life and maybe I just need to dig more into it because there I are mean, a lot of interviews with her. But Sometimes even in interviews, they don't talk about that stuff though. Yeah, but I'm like, what like spurred you to be super on top of this topic? Like what was your inspiration? It didn't have to be one thing. It could have been a million things. So she began traveling around to schools in North York teaching about sexual education, which again, this is like the 70s and 80s, like not common, I would say, or at least the kind of sexual education that people were receiving, I feel was very conservative and very heavily relied on abstinence-based education. Like it even we still struggle with that kind of thing today. I feel like I received a pretty liberal health education, sex ed education, but she's doing this in the seventies, eighties. I'm like, I can't imagine. So Sue approached sex ed with a sense of humor and frankness that not only made her entertaining, but left students feeling open to the information that she was sharing rather than like they were being talked down to or what people were talking about were like over their heads or it was, it wasn't boring. It was understandable. And she's talking like peer to peer versus well, when an egg leaves the ovaries uh, and it travels down the fallopian, I for a second I was like, "Wait, how does my uterus work?" <laughs> I had to the like, line is getting to your head. I had to travel back to sophomore year in high school. Uh, so sex ed like can be fun, and she made it fun because before I feel like it was this very like almost puritanical oh, it approach was. to it. You it know, was don't have sex, you will get pregnant, and you will die. Did you know that there used to be a myth that while you're on your period, you can't go swimming? Yeah, because you will get a cold and die. I didn't know it was because you would get a cold and die, but I knew there was a myth that yeah. you couldn't go swimming. Well, and that might have been because maybe the menstrual products at the time were not good enough to like keep you from looking like a shark attack victim in the pool. But the idea was that your period, you lost blood, it made you weaker and more susceptible to illness. So you shouldn't go swimming because you'll get cold and then you'll get sick. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. wild. Whatever. So word quickly spread about her talks and she was invited to more schools and universities Yay. across the country and she was hugely popular. And I remember my sophomore year of college, I uh, was a week, week of welcome leader for freshmen. And we had a sex educator come and talk. And I took my students there. Did you? Yeah, it was awesome. Good for and you. And this woman had a very Sue vibe because she was very frank and she was very open. She's like, okay, y'all, here's the deal about anal sex. Okay, we're going to talk real. We're going to talk real. She's like, here's what sex is. Like... If you want to think for religious purposes, anal sex is technically not sex, fine, but it's sex, okay? <laughs> it was amazing. So in the 1980s, Sue took her first step into the spotlight Ooh. with her own radio show on rock station Q107. And now for our younger listeners, radio stations were... <laughs> I hope everyone knows what a radio station is. I mean, they still exist, so I hope I so. know, but who listens to them other than my boyfriend? And then he flips through looking for a good song, and I'm like, don't you have a playlist? That's true. <laughs> so this show was titled Sunday Night Sex Show, and during it, Sue would take calls from listeners with burning questions about sex, love, and relationships, and sometimes questions about literal burning. It shouldn't burn when you pee. Public no. service announcement. It really shouldn't burn when you do most anything unless you're lighting yourself on fire. Like Mary's sister. 
Just saying. <laughs> So in 1996, Sunday Night Sex Show transitioned from radio to television with the same format, and it also included reviews of sex toys. So she had this little bag that had flames on it. She would pull out sex toys and be like, this is what it is. This is how it works. And like, this is what you can use it for. It also includes sex quizzes and sex polls where users could vote during the show online and then see the results at the end. And like for us today, that might seem like, pretty basic digital marketing kind of thing but this is the 90s and early 2000s the idea of people voting online and then being able to project those results on tv i don't know i'm like they could do that back then what so this show would air until 2005 wow and i have to say like her being on television is amazing so kelly i want you to look up sue johansson and just describe her for our listeners because I personally was like, she looks like my grandmother. I mean, yeah. she. Re- I mean, do you want me to describe an older picture of her or a younger picture of her? Older, because that's how she looked when she was on the show. So she has like, in some it's, it looks more permed than others, but like curly-ish, short, gray-black hair, mostly gray. Okay, so it was like white on this TV show. Um, I'm watching one. It says Talk Sex. Okay. Um, it's on chlamydia, apparently. <laughs> um, and then she had, like, she has kind of a, like, a, like, you know, when you think of, like, really serious teachers, like, that she has that kind of face. But very wrinkled. She has, like, old people, like, the skinny glasses on the edge of her nose. But they're really big. She's very skinny and frail looking. In the in the picture I'm looking at, she's wearing, like, a blue button-down shirt. She has her hands, like, clasped in front of her on her desk with a little coffee mug. Yeah, she looks like a grandma. It's cute. It's funny that you mentioned, like, a stern educator because when I was watching these videos with my friend, I was like, she looks like the principal of my Catholic school, uh, Sister Anne Marie, with Without the habit. Right. Because she she was a much older woman. She had this very stern look about her. Right. Even in her yearbook photos, but then this woman did not pictures, smile. But there is there's pictures of her right, smiling. Right. There's pictures of her like about to go down on a dildo. There's one of yeah. her like with her hands next to her face, like, eh. Yeah, like, no, she she oh she God, has a lot of dildo on a chin on her chin. Yeah, chindo. Oh, my God. So she But is, like yeah, and some of them she everyone's looks like grandma. A, she looks like a super stern person. Wearing like the little blouse and the cardigan and sometimes pearls and you know, the old lady glasses. And she's talking about rough anal sex. Like it's, it's nuts. So I feel like the idea of someone who looks like everyone's grandma talking about these, what would be considered raunchy topics all like makes it so much better. I feel like this is something you can find online readily today, but at the time, can you imagine? Oh, it's fantastic though. So, yeah, this is a woman who's talking about hardcore anal sex, sex toys, oral sex, and more. In 2002, Sue finally reached the U.S. as reruns were picked up by Oxygen. And, we're, and we funny. we as a country beca- became collectively sexier and smarter. Of course. And so these are the reruns that my friend was watching late nights, like during high school. Now... Because I don't think like I can play the audio from any of Sue's shows or clips, and I really don't want to feel like getting sued. Kelly and I 
are going to recreate one of her calls so that you guys can get a feel for Sue's sexy magic and learn a little. So just a content warning, uh, we are going to be talking about pubic hair, genitals, and what not to do with them. Kelly is going to be playing the the caller whose name is Eileen. I'm going to be playing Sue because I had to watch the video 8,000 times just to transcribe it. So... I, I literally, I picked this specific video and this conversation because I think it's something that is applicable to all of our listeners, regardless of your genitalia. Also, I think it's something that I kind of wish I knew more about when I was younger. Honestly, Mama Meg, I was thinking of you and your kids when I was like picking which one. I was like, do I do the rough anal sex one or do I do this one? I'm going to do this one because I, I appreciate because that. I want, you know, as the other half of this conversation. <laughs> so uh, Kelly is going to start as Eileen. Oh, wonderful. And remember, these people are calling in live to her show. She's on the show listening and responding in real time. Okay. So now my husband, Ben, was questioning. I have quite a lot of pubic hair, and he was wanting me to get rid of that to see if that maybe made him feel better. So I was going to try. I tried the shaving thing, but I had some ingrown come through. I know. I know. See, Sue already knows. She's like, (laughs) I'm there with you, girl. I've been there. (laughs) So I was thinking of trying a product I heard of at the store called Nair. No. No, it's not designed for genitals. It's designed for your legs. It's designed for your armpits. Well, I don't even know about armpits, but I wouldn't use it on your genitals. Not at all. A bikini wax, if you are determined to do this, if you are absolutely determined to do this, then a bikini wax is the best way. It's it's called a Brazilian wax, I think. And it literally kind of, I hate to say, yanks out the hair, but that's what it does. <laughs> But wouldn't that be painful? Well, from my perspective, yes. But if you were determined to do it, you just grit your teeth and hold on and that's it. That is the best image, though, like of this (laughs) granny that's just like, yeah, it's going to hurt, but just just grit your teeth and get through it. Yeah, just bite on one of your super fun dildos and power on. Well, is that the only way? How can I shave without getting the ingrown? You can't. Why not? Well, because when you shave off the hair, you lop off the top of the hair follicle and you get an infection and then the hair grows back because you don't remove the hair from the follicle. You just cut it off. So then it grows back in again and curves itself around and you have an infected follicle and an ingrown hair. So maybe if I put a little alcohol on there, maybe that would keep it from getting an infection. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Have you ever? ever shaved your genitals and then put rubbing alcohol on it no well I think it's I think you may try it once all right let's put it that way because it is going to smart okay so not a good idea no it is not a good idea you know if you want to do it you can do the bikini wax or I would ask my partner why he really wants you to shave your pubic hair because pubic hair is an aphrodisiac for men. Female pubic hair, if you're a heterosexual, female pubic hair contains our genital odors, which is very distinctive. Every woman is different. And so that is a turn on for your partner. So why do you want to shave it off? I have no idea. Think about it, Eileen. Talk about it with your partner. Find out if it's important enough, and then you decide if you want to do that or not. 
And then after this, this is very good advice. After this, they showed the results of the show's uh, poll for is an occasional fight good for a relationship? So I'm nice. going to let Kelly answer because we are literally on Sue's show right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So 80% of responders said yes. I don't, Seven, I don't see that on my notes, but yes. No, no, I didn't include oh, that okay. because that, that's not part of your script. That, that's how I feel. I, I yeah. think arguing is good for a relationship. So 80% of people agreed with you. 7% said no, and 13% said maybe. And I'm like, what's 13 plus 7? That percentage of people, uh, they're struggling. <laughs> I would just say, because like, if you don't fight, how can you learn to get over conflict? The second you have a conflict, you're going right. to fall apart. But in this exchange that Kelly and I have so beautifully recreated, you can really get a feel for Sue's approach. She's frank and honest with the caller. She offers potential solutions. She promotes communication with the caller's partner. Mm -hmm. I like that. And she's not afraid to employ humor. She's like, ouch, ouch, ouch. Oh, that's going to smart, you know. That's smart. I love that. Oh, I love it. And just imagine your grandma telling you, like, don't put nair on your pubes, which is something I wish my grandmother had told me because mistakes were made. (laughs) Yes. Actually, I might have done that once. I'm just going to say, don't use nair, period. Because it is not worth the hassle. No, it's a pain in the ass. It, I feel like it doesn't make your hair stay away much longer. And honestly, even if it did, like the two seconds it takes me to shave my legs and my pits, it's not fucking worth it. Right. Don't put it's that. It's so much easier to shave. And Sue was not sure if it's meant for your pits. I think they advertise it that way. Don't. Don't use it on your pits. It burns. I'm just going to tell everyone. I'm very, I tried Nair. Don't do it. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to, like, buy a bottle of Nair because I'm like, oh, my legs. (laughs) But she also doesn't directly tell the caller what to do, except, like, like, don't use Nair on your genitals because super fucking don't. Like, you will die. (laughs) But she gives the caller the information and lets them make the best choice for themselves. And she's like, talk to your partner. Like, here's the science behind, like, your pubic hair and what it does and it's an aphrodisiac and like it gives off your genital odors like why does he want you to shave them like have that discussion and I I thought that was so cool and one of her things is in some of the videos I saw she's like I'm not telling people what to do I'm giving them the information and then letting them make the choice but then at that point it's an educated choice and that's the best thing we can give people it's not telling people what to do it's giving them enough information to make an educated choice for themselves i like that i like that right i also found clips where callers in same-sex relationships called in asking questions like there was a there was a woman in particular who was in a lesbian relationship and she was like asking about conolingus and that kind of thing and i I remember seeing this. I was like, oh, my God, this isn't like the 90s, early, mid 2000s, because even now there's so many myths around same sex relationships and sex. And there's this like, did she just handle it super chilly? Yeah. Yeah. She like any other call. It didn't phase her. She because it's all sex. It's all about sex education. It doesn't matter if it's heterosexual sex, homosexual. Like it doesn't matter what's going on, you know? And I thought that was so cool because I'm imagining myself in the early 2000s. So the show went off the air in 2005. Wow. I was it like end of eighth grade, beginning of freshman year of high school. And I was just beginning to realize same-sex relationships were a thing. 
you know, and like forming my opinions about that. And she's on the TV being like, yeah, going down on your female partner. Here's like best practices and, you know, that kind of thing totally blows my mind. But yeah, that's insane. So Sue also went on shows like Conan to promote her show and talk about sex toys and responsible sex practices. And there's a video where she's on with Tom Selleck and the wrestler Big Show, who's a very large man. And she makes a comment about how like men think they just need the biggest dick and Big Show, who's again, a very large man is like kind of strutting his stuff because she pulls out a sex toy that's like the size of a pen. And Conan's like, doesn't that look too small? And she's like, you, you know, men just think it's all about size. Mm-hmm. It's not. And then Big Show kind of goes, oh. <laughs> There's one sex toy that looks like a rubber ducky that she introduces at the very beginning. And while what? she's pulling out all these other sex toys, Tom Selleck is just holding the rubber ducky like, oh, my God. <laughs> He's holding on to it for comfort. That's super funny. It's it's so amazing. It, and she's got the flaming tote bag. It's incredible. She also has written several books, including Talk Sex, Sex, Sex. Oh, no, sorry. Talk Sex, 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 and More Sex. Ooh. And my favorite, Sex is Perfectly Natural, but Not Naturally Perfect. Thank you. Yay. Sex is not like porn. It's not perfect. You can fart and queef in the middle of it, and it's still fine. (laughs) She also had a weekly column in the Toronto Star newspaper where she talked about sex and health. So Sue's mission was to make us all smarter about sex, and that has not gotten un- gone unrecognized. In 2001, she received an appointment to the Order of Canada for Lifetime Achievement, and this is Canada's fourth highest honor. Like, to get higher than that, you have to save a bunch of orphans from a burning bus. Like, it's a big deal. In 2010, Sue received the Bonham Center Award from the Mark S. Bonham Center for Sexual Diversity Studies. Ooh. And now comes the part that I know everyone is waiting for. My signature, and then she died. (laughs) And then she died. But not today, bitches. Sue Johansson is still kicking it at 91 years old. She also apparently has a Twitter at real Sue Johansson, but she only has four tweets that were all posted in July seven that were posted on July seventeenth of two thousand fourteen. She joined Twitter in July of two thousand fourteen, so I'm like never posted. She posted else. four times in one day and was like, I, "I'm not feeling this." And her very last tweet reads, "I'm tweeting." Don't know how to use it. Was told to give Twitter a try. Why not hashtag Sue Johansson? I love her. I love her so much. And she's still traveling around to schools and giving interviews and set. Like, she's still doing the goddamn thing. And here's the thing. Like, why can I not find reruns of her show on Netflix or Hulu or any other major streaming service? And when I was watching this with my friend Jory, I was like, why isn't this a thing now? But then I realized like with YouTube and all the other social media outlets out there, there's tons of sex education content. Right. It's a lot easier to find, but in the, we still need to see Johansson. In the seventies, eighties, nineties, early mid aughts, Sue Johansson is in, is in the mainstream on major networks talking about dildos, same sex relationships, pubes, and anal and everything and nair like it's totally mind-blowing to me 
And I was, I, I actually, I told Jory, I'm like, I'm really disappointed that you never made me watch this, but we watch a lot of anime together. So uh, like, I get it. That's funny. But yeah, you can find some of Sue Johansson's videos, especially her appearances on Conan, on YouTube. Look her up, follow her on Twitter, even though she literally hasn't posted since 2017. <laughs> follow her anyway. Give that girl some love because Sue Johansson is the everyone's sex positive grandma. Hell yeah. And I'm... So thankful I got to cover this after a Holocaust story. Sue, like, if I need this, this somehow reaches you and you want to be on the podcast, let us know. Sue, I would love to talk to you. I actually have so many questions. And something that my friend and I were talking about is like, she must have the best sex. And it's not that because she's like so knowledgeable of sex, she like knows all the secret tricks, but just because she's educated and she has the confidence and the education to ask for what she wants, right. um, the comfortability to expare, you know, like she just seems like a very confident lover. I mean, is she married? She is. Yeah. Yeah. To that Swedish Canadian electrician. That guy is real lucky. Oh my God. Right. And I get, I was joking. So she's a grandmother. She's a literal grandmother. And I'm like, do you think that her kids, like when their children turn kind of of the age and they have sex questions, or is like, talk to Grandma Sue. I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> I hope so. Oh my God. But yeah, that is Sue Johansson, the sex positive grandma. I love her. I, she, she kind of looks like my grandmother who I was, I was very close to. And so I'm watching this. I'm like, God, if she had an East coast accent, I would be shitting myself. Right. <laughs> so Emily, what are you thankful for? Okay. This is actually really easy this week. I am thankful for two things. Last week was kind of a, Oh my God, I don't even know. One, Jared, uh, now that his disability has been increased, he's been looking for a hobby to occupy your time or, why did I say your time? I Why? don't know. I have his so many time, questions. His time. Uh, because before he just could never afford to have a hobby. And, you know, he couldn't work because of his PTSD. And now that the VA is recognized, he's like, oh, I can actually have a hobby. So him and his dad bought this project car together. And they're going to work on it. And that's going to be their father-son time. Uh, that's going to be his hobby. They're going to work on this car together. It's something that Jared's dad always wanted to do with his dad, I think. And actually, the funny story behind this car, and I'm saying this on the super duper off chance that anyone related to the seller is listening. This car was originally bought as a project car for a father and son. The father was a Vietnam vet. Uh, he unfortunately had a stroke and had to move out of town oh, to no. be, I think closer to a different family. And so the son is like, well, I have to sell this car because like I don't, my, my dad's not around to work on it with me anyway. And so the father, I guess, was kind of disappointed that he was selling the car. But when he found out Jared was a vet and that it was going to be a father son project, he's like, that's okay. Like, so this has the original father's blessing and now it's going to be another father son project adorable. car. So I, and I was very anxious about this. I'm like, what's the person's address? What's their name? What's their phone number? I was looking at property records to connect the name with 
the guy's name with the address. I was like, you call me before you go over there. You call me when you're done. And of course, Jared did not listen to directions. And he just texted me on the road. And I'm like, my true crime brain was going off. I'm like, anyone could have texted that. And it's far enough away. We're like, I'm not even going to think to call the cops until way late at night. So I called him. He's like, why are you calling me when I'm driving? I'm like, I just need to hear your voice. I just need to know it was really you on the other line of the phone. He's like, I get that. (laughs) This is a dude that's literally been to war. And I'm like, nope, nope. I'm your plan B. I'm your backup. I'm, I'm ground support. I'm support from home base or whatever. That's super fun. So I'm glad that went so well. The second thing I'm incredibly thankful for, I have been waiting for months. I have had drywall in my house, tucked behind my couch for months. And finally, I got the call that the drywall hangers were available to come and hang it. So they did that today. And um, the guy who's going to do the mudding and taping is going to come next week. And the week after, the flooring's going to put like my upstairs renovation project, which has been going on almost since the beginning of this podcast, aka way too goddamn long, is now like being nudged into hyperspeed. And I am so thankful. I'm so grateful because this has been such a pain in the ass. Like from the beginning, if you're a longtime listener, you remember me bitching about having to use all of my lunch breaks to go down to the permit office and being told that I need to measure, you know, well, how far is your butthole from your vagina? Because we need to know that for our record. Like, Every ridiculous shit, every yeah. time I went there, they're like, "Well, you need to measure something else." I'm like, "Can I just get a list? Could it, you could you just tell me at once everything I need right. to measure? Just give me a list." To the point where the last time I went in there, I was almost crying, and I'm like, "Bitch, if I have to cry to get a permit, I will. I have no shame anymore. <laughs> I have no pride. I will cry in your lap if I need. To. Yeah, I will jump over this desk and cry. I will curl up in the corner and cry." Um, so I'm really thankful because we're really, we're closing in on the end stretch. We're going to have our master bedroom back, which means Jared can have his own fucking office and then I can have my own office and baby, I have plans. I'm going to have a little reading area. I'm going to have my computer with my computer. It's going to be a max. I'm going to have all my new drawings up on the wall, which I already do, but now they're all going to be like really fancy. It's amazing. Third thing. Actually, I forgot. There's a third thing. Oh, my God. No, this is... Here's the weird thing. I've been having a hard week, but as far as tangible blessings, I'm very fortunate. So the anniversary of when I was sexually assaulted is coming up. And on that day, I am actually going to get the opportunity to model for uh, the teacher who kind of got me into figure drawing modeling in the first place. It's not nude, but modeling has been really helpful for me with coping with the trauma and kind of repairing my relationship with my body and even desexualizing my body because I'm like I'm standing in a room full of people totally naked and no one's being weird about it but that asshole decided he could do whatever he wanted with my body like so that's been really healing so when I found out that I would the date of the modeling I was like oh that's spooky and I love it because it, it, it feels almost Obviously, trauma never goes away. I feel like coping with trauma and recovering from trauma is this very like, it's like a pendulum. It swings back and forth. I don't think it's something that's ever done. But it feels like this kind of milestone. Like, 
on the same day that I was sexually assaulted all those years ago, I'm getting to model and I'm getting to use my body in the way that I want it in a totally desexualized way. And I'm getting to partner with someone who got me into figure drawing modeling in the first place. Who And that's really helped me. So I'm very excited about that. That's awesome. Yeah. So I got three things and now you have to have at least four things. I, otherwise you're going to look like a bitch. I'm going to look like a bitch. <laughs> no, I'm not even joking. Like in every single one of my classes this week. So the three I've had so far, every single one, they were like, talk about something good that happened this week. And I'm like, fuck. Oh my because God. Because I have a lot of the same cohort members in all three classes. So I'm like, I have to think of something different. I have to think. And then I was like, fuck, I have to think of something for the podcast too. So I, oh I'm, my out. God. I'm out of things. Well, you can say all the things um, you said in those classes. Well, one, I, we finally got our floor finished. I don't know if you, you I did. saw that. Like, so last week they had done all of upstairs and then like our first set of stairs. But they were like, oh, we're going to have to come back. And originally it wasn't until like the 23rd. I'm not even joking. So I was like, oh, God, it's going to be like two weeks. That's when they're going to come and do my floors. Yeah. <laughs> But it was, it was going to be like, actually, I think it might, I don't know, maybe it was the 22nd, but it was going to be like two weeks before they could come and finish. Like literally it's like seven steps. The but, steps are tough though. Well, and it's because upstairs there was tile under part of our floor that we didn't know was there. And it honestly took them like four hours. Cause once you pull the tile out below tile, there's always plywood and they staple the plywood in every six inches. So then he had to deal with all those staples and it honestly took him like four hours. Oh my God. So that's, I, I, me and Justin were thinking about it. We're like, that's probably about the time it would take him to the stairs. So he, uh, yeah, you know, he was like, oh, I have some, other. but then one of his jobs got like moved or canceled. So he was like, I can come and do it. So that was really exciting. So the floor is now done and we don't have to worry about that. Kelly is also having movement on her house projects. Yeah. Um, Honestly, so seeing that. your floors inspired me to call the drywall people again and be like, hey, whenever you can get out here, because I'm like, I want to get my fucking floor. Yeah, because <laughs> I went to the same place that Emily went. I recommended them to Kelly, and they're amazing. Yeah, they are. They're super great. But so we got that done. I don't know. Classes this week were long, but I got through it. Yeah, I don't know. It was a good week. I'm, I'm thankful glad. for it being a good week. And now we're getting to do this, and we had our first like official business meeting where we yeah, boosted up. Official business. It's yeah. Great. Yeah, so if we ever get sued for some reason, we're covered. <laughs> Please don't sue us. Please don't sue us. All of my songs have been pure parodies. You got nothing. Nothing. And also, I got nothing, so you can't you get, get right. shit from Broke me. Broke AF. Broke AF. That should be our spinoff podcast. Broke AF. Yep. Where we just literally recreate copywritten material. It's like, hey, I got nothing. You can't do shit to me. <laughs> right? That's, yeah, we could do that. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another uh, particularly boozy episode of Whining About Herstory. Yeah. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. And our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where we would love to hear from you. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash whiningaboutherstory, where you can donate for as little as $1 a month to get a bunch of crazy stuff. Yep, we uh, just sent out a bunch of gifts to our patrons that are not necessarily like patron benefits, but we just got some like exclusive swag and we're like, we're gonna share it with you because we yeah. fucking love you guys. Um, also, please raise five stars wherever you listen. It's free and is one of the easiest and freest ways to support the podcast. It helps other people find us. Also tell other people about us. Recruit for our funerary cult. We need it. Yes. 
We love you. Yeah, learn about a funerista or a funerarian. Learn more about some badass paleontologists and some sexy, sex positive grandmas. Yeah. Every week. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye.